0: Good morning church. Good morning church. Come on, a good week here. I got it, I got it. Thank you man. So, um, question for you. Thanksgiving week uh, at your house or the house you're going to, who gets to sit at the big table for Thanksgiving? Do you have this conundrum at your Thanksgiving? I don't know if your Thanksgiving was anything like my Thanksgiving growing up, but every year we'd go and we'd gather at at someone's house. You know, family would come over and it'd be a a packed place. And we'd either be in the front yard playing football or watch inside watching football on TV. And at some point, someone would holler, food's ready. Everybody would come running into the kitchen and, you know, we might hold hands and say a quick prayer. And there was too much food to put it on the table, so you kind of went through the line and fixed your plate. And then the adults were ushered over to the beautiful, nice big table with big chairs, and then the kids, like somebody thought this was a good idea, let's set up the ricketyest table we can find and put the little kids at it, and uh, you can come in here and sit, you know, hopefully on like a hard surface floor, because there's going to be a mess, and, uh, and you can sit in here at this card table, and, and you can eat uh, your Thanksgiving food so that the adults can sit over here and be undisturbed, right, because, you know, that's what we want. And as a kid, like, when you're little at first, it's kind of okay, but you know what you do, and, and you guys your parents, you know what's, how, how this works, is you're running over there constantly because you need stuff, you know, you don't like the peas, you know, or you need more carrots, or no one says that, never mind, um, you know, whatever, and, uh, and, and you're bugging them, and then, but the older you get, like, the more you want to, to move from this table to that table, Right? You know, at some point, it's not cool anymore, and you don't want to sit here. That's where the kids sit. That's where the little kids sit. You want to come over here to the to big table because over here, if you get to sit here, you're important. You know, you belong, and you get to participate in conversations that really matter, you know. And, and there's nothing you want more as you're growing up than to get to move from this table to this table, Yeah. You know? Now, I think this is what we do, right? And I think it's, it's kind of funny that at, at, you know, at, at, at a Thanksgiving meal that's meant to bring us all together that we do this. We find ways to divide ourselves for different reasons. Uh, but this is what we do. And, and let me just pause and say I'm not trying to mess up your Thanksgiving seating chart, so relax. <laughs> but I do want to lean into this idea for a moment that this is like instinctual to human beings. This is what, this is what we do. We're constantly finding ways to divide ourselves for different reasons. And so we make up rules and we make up the, these different things that says, who's welcome at this table and who's welcome at that table and where you should sit and when you should sit and at what age you can sit at this place and, and, and what rites of passage you have to go through or boxes you have to check to be able to move from here to there. And that's all well and fine at Thanksgiving when, you know, they're playing football and you've got the family and there's just not enough room to sit around one table. But, but what happens when we get to church? and we start making up these same kind of rules, right? What happens when we come together, and and who gets to decide what the rules are? Who gets to decide who gets to sit where? Who gets to decide who's welcome at the table and who is not? What we've been doing for the last few weeks, if you've been hanging with us, or maybe if you're here for the first time, I'll catch up real quick, is we've been We've been taking a sort of a fresh look at an ancient practice that's called the Lord's Supper, or it's called communion. It goes by lots of names. It's, it's really just the mill Jesus started. It's kind of a thank you mill that he began, you know, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. And it's our, been our desire over the last couple of weeks, three weeks, to say, hey, let's take a fresh look at this ancient practice, and let's ask some some questions. And I think this is really good, by the way. It's really good to, to come at this ancient practice with, with sort of, uh, you know, a fresh perspective and ask some some really good questions and think about what is this what is this that we're doing like you could argue that this may be the most important thing that we do every single week and and three weeks ago we asked the question why do we do it you know why why do we pause every Sunday at this church in the middle of our worship gathering for communion why do we you know kind of metaphorically symbolically gather around a table and pass bread and some crackers and and press past the juice and we all take a little bit of it at least some of us do like why do we do that and we said three weeks ago I mean you can go back and listen online and hear the whole thing it's a lot better but we basically said we do that to remember We do that to remember what matters most, and what matters most is that Jesus came from heaven to earth to seek and save the lost, to find what was lost. And when he did that, there's a party. Like every time something that is lost is found, there's a party in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and it wasn't that you at some point in your life that you found God, it's that God found you. And whenever you realize that God has been searching for you whenever you like the prodigal son in the story in Luke 15 turn and, and, and start heading back home whenever God sees you turn towards him he runs towards you right And every time you read a story about Jesus and, and someone who was lost that is found there's always a party That's how the story goes So why do we gather we gather we gather to remember that We we gather to remember that Jesus came right He came to seek and save the lost. And then we asked this question two weeks ago, well, what do we say? Like like when we do this, when we pause in the middle of our time together and we take the bread and we take the juice, what do we say? What, What are we saying in this moment? And what we're saying is that that happened, right? That Jesus did come from heaven to earth. That he did die on a cross, and he didn't just die like he was dead, dead. Like they took down his limp body from a cross, and there was no life left in him. And on that Friday, when Jesus died, there were no Christians. There were no followers of Jesus because there was no Jesus to follow. He was dead. The story was over. They didn't know what was going to happen next. They were asking questions like, what did we just do with the last three years of our life? And what do we do now? Like, we thought this was going to play out a different way. But the one that we called Messiah, who we thought was going to change everything, is dead. Of course, you and I, on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection, we know what happened. Three days later, on Sunday morning, Jesus, who was dead, didn't stay dead, he got up. He woke up. He was raised up by God. And he walked out of that tomb. And when we gather around the table every week, what we say is that that happened. That we believe that Jesus came. That he lived. That he died like he died. And that he rose again. And because he rose again, that one day we will rise again. that because he was resurrected from the grave, that one day he will resurrect us. And that we will be with him forever in heaven. And that has started now, like we believe in eternal life that has already began. that the kingdom of heaven is here and now because that's what Jesus said. But we also believe that one day it's going to fully come and we're going to fully be alive and fully be in his presence forever, for all eternity. We believe that. That's what we say. Right, church, amen? If I can't get an amen there, we can just go home. All right, that's it. That's it. Amen. That's what we say. And you probably have a lot of questions. I, I, I love I love this series because you know it, it brings to mind for me all the questions that, that always come up about about this ancient practice. You know, I remember a few years ago I was sitting at, at church with my kids and we were communion was being served. It was a church kind of like this church, and one of my kids, and one of my daughters, ran over to me and and uh, oh, no no no, let me back. Oh, this is what happened? I get the story mixed up. What happened was they were serving communion and I realized pretty quickly that there was no one to serve communion like on our aisle. And so I thought, you know, I'll do this. So I, I grabbed my son, Will, and I hopped up, and I said, hey, let's, let's go help out. So we, we run to the back, we grab the trays, and we help pass out, you know, the bread, the juice. And when we got done, we came and sat down, and I'll never forget, I sat down, and my daughter came over to me at that point and hopped up in my lap, and she was like, hey, what were you and Will doing? And I said, well, we were, we were helping out with communion. They were, they were, you know, a man short, so we hopped up to help. You know, we passed the baskets and the trays. And she looked at me and she said, hey, next time you do that, can I help you? Now, like I froze, right? Because <laughs> I was raised in a church where girls didn't do that, right? And I'm thinking, okay, that's a really good question. Can I help? Like, okay, so you can help pass the tray if you're sitting down, but not standing up. And in my brain, I couldn't make that make sense. And I, t- I didn't know how to explain to my daughter in this moment, this child, that, that, that all the reasons why that may not work. So I just said, yes absolutely next time I have to hop up and help you you can do that we have questions like this like who can serve the Lord's Supper right it's kind of a silly question in some ways but it's a question that we have you know Uh, who can serve in that moment I was like why why not yes sure you can yeah there's no restrictions or reasons why why anyone can't serve the Lord's Supper. Yeah, you, we have questions like, do we have to have unleavened bread? This is a question I got a lot uh, at one point in my life, you know, especially in youth ministry when, when you're all over the world and the country and, and you show up somewhere and, and you want to take communion in a special moment, a special place with special people, and you realize you don't have exactly the right things to do it with, you know. You know, you're on a mountaintop somewhere and you're, you know, you forgot to bring the unleavened bread. You're looking for like a tortilla or something that's, you know, flat, you know. And I think it's a great question. I think it would have been a really uh, funny question to ask like Christians in the first century. Because they knew that, that what Jesus did in that moment when he started, he started the meal in the context of a Passover meal, which was a meal that had unleavened bread, right? And he broke the bread and gave it and they took the fruit of the vine and they drank it. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. That's how it all started. And we'll look at that story in just a moment. But the first Christians knew that what Jesus did in that moment was he took the common things on the table, and, and it's what he always did. It's the way he does with baptism and water. He says, take the common and, and use it to remember something that's uncommon. Take the ordinary and use it to remember this extraordinary. And so at every meal, they had bread, and they had wine, and they would take that bread to remember the body of Christ and the fruit of the vine to remember the blood of Christ. It was the common thing at the table. And, and the Passover meal was a meal where there was unleavened bread, but there were lots of festival meals in Israel's history uh, that used all kinds of bread. They would just use bread to break it and to eat it and to remember the body of Christ. We have these kinds of questions because we've adopted certain practices and, and they're really good. But sometimes it's good to step back and ask and look at an ancient practice with a fresh perspective and say, why? Yeah, why do we do that, you know? And today the question I want us to lean into is, is, is this question, like who is welcome at the table? And what I want to do is what we do with everything we do, right? Is I want us to look at the question and look at it through the lens of Jesus. Like does what we do and what we practice and how we do it, does it line up with what we know is true about Jesus? And so on another Sunday, we were sitting in church again and And they pass the bread, and my kids come running over to me, one of of my daughters again. I don't know why it's my daughters. They're just smarter, I guess. Um, And she looked at me, and she said, hey, can I have some? And again, I'm looking at my daughter, and and I grew up in a church where kids weren't allowed to take communion. You had to be baptized to take communion. And And I'm looking at her, and at this point in my life... You know, I've read the Bible I don't know how many times. I've read the words of Jesus hundreds if not thousands of times. I've got two degrees in Bible like I should know the answer to this question, right? (laughs) And I'm looking at her and I'm thinking about everything that I've been taught but I'm also thinking about everything that I know about Jesus. And I'm wondering if she asked Jesus that question in this moment, what would he say? You know? Because I have a hard time thinking that if anyone asks Jesus, hey, can I can I participate in this moment where you remember the cross? Would Jesus turn anyone away? I tend to think Jesus would say what we say so often in this church that all are welcome. All are welcome at the Lord's and today what I want to do is I want to just step back for a moment I want to show you two things or talk about two things one is is why I say that and the second is why it's important for you and me and if you're here every week you know that what we normally do um, is we like take a deep dive into one text or one passage or one story or one part of scripture and we we try to just really lean into it hard together so we can we can grow closer together and grow closer towards God that's what we try to do every week today what I want to do is a little bit different if you have your Bible and you want to follow along, you're going to need to be quick, because I want us to zoom out the camera lens, and I want us to pan back, and I want us to take a, sort of a, a, an overarching uh, glimpse of the story of God, and particularly the life of Jesus. And I want to ask this question, who's welcome? Who is welcome at the table? We're going to get to it in a minute, where Jesus started this meal, in the context of the Passover meal, but I want to back up because I want you to see that story. And so if you want to open up or start at Exodus 12, that's where we're going to start first, just a couple of verses. If you don't know, the Exodus was hands down the the pivotal moment in the life of every Jew. This was the story that defined them as a people, that gave them an identity as a people. And this story comes out of a time when, when Israel had been in Egyptian captivity for literally hundreds of years. And they had been crying out to God to, to come and save them, to come and rescue them. And so, just to kind of give you the, the short version of the story, God chose Moses to go to Pharaoh to lead his people out of Egypt and to lead them from darkness to light, from death to life, from slavery to freedom. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh says no. In fact, 10 different times Pharaoh said no. And every time Pharaoh said no, God sent another plague on Egypt. And that may sound harsh, but you need to remember that every time there was grace involved, because at any moment Pharaoh could have said, go, but he didn't. He didn't. And the last one of those plagues Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, God says, let my people go. And if you don't let God's people go, then you need to know that tonight, the firstborn child of every family in your country is going to die tonight. Now, again, that may sound harsh, but you need to know that God through Moses gave Pharaoh plenty of time to let the people go and to avoid this catastrophe. But like Pharaoh had done nine times before, he said no one more time. Moses goes back to his people, and God told Moses, he said, hey, tell tell the Israelites this, because this, this is for everyone. Tonight, death is going to come on the firstborn child of every family, unless you take a lamb, you slaughter the lamb, and you take the blood of the lamb, and you put it across the doorpost of your house. And if you put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost above your house, then tonight when death comes, death will pass over your house, and you will be you'll be saved. So the Israelites did this. They they killed a lamb and they took the blood and put it on the doorpost, and that night when death came, death came. And there was great weeping and wailing in all of Egypt. So much so that Pharaoh summoned Moses in the middle of the night and he said, Go, get out of here. Take your people and go. We're done. And they did. And after that, they set up a meal that every year they would observe. And it was called the Passover meal because it reminded them of when God in his mercy passed over their homes and saved their children, and then saved them and rescued them from Egyptian slavery and set them free to be the people of God, his chosen people. And every year they did this. And then here's the the instructions that God gave the Israelites through Moses. In Exodus 12, 24, he said this, Remember, these instructions are a permanent law that you and your descendants must observe forever. When you enter the land the Lord has promised to give you, you'll continue to observe this ceremony. What is it? And then your children will ask, what does this ceremony mean? And you will reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. And though he struck down the Egyptians, he spared our families. And when Moses had finished speaking, all the people bowed down to the ground and worshiped. So every year they would gather around a table, right? And they would observe the Passover meal. And everyone in the family was included in the meal. The old and the young, the male and the female, the children were there and they heard the story. Even outsiders who were seeking God were welcome to come to the Passover meal to the table to learn and to hear the story of what God had done and how God had saved his people from their slavery and rescued them and set them free. And, and I've been thinking about this all week. I think this is pretty amazing because if you know anything about the history and the story <coughs> excuse me, of the people of Israel, you know that, 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 that over and over again, they ended up back in really bad situations. Like, and not just for a moment, not for a season. I know maybe you have a bad week or a bad month or a bad year sometimes. But they would end up, you know, back in bondage or slavery or in dark places for, you know, hundreds of years. But they never lost their faith. And I think the reason why is because year after year, they sat with their children around a table. And they told the story over and over again of how once, once in their history, once in their past, God had saved them. God had delivered them, and they believed so deeply in this story of salvation that even when they found themselves back in dire situations, they never lost the faith that they had been given as children. They had never lost touch with the story that their God was a God who was a deliverer, and he delivered them before, and he would deliver them again. It was a powerful story that shaped them, informed them, And gave them identity as a people. And it all started when they were children because from the time they were born, they were at the table, the Passover table, hearing the story of what God had done. So you fast forward the story and you get to the life of Jesus. And Jesus, what's so amazing about Jesus is that over and over again throughout the story of Jesus, you find out that he's eating with different kinds of people. I love the, the story as Luke tells it. Luke, again, if you don't know, Luke was a Greek doctor who researched Jesus and wrote a story about Jesus. And, and Luke observed that at least seven different times, that's what he wrote down, I'm sure there were more, Jesus sat down with different kinds of people at a table to eat. And some people call this the table ministry of Jesus. But these are the times that Jesus sat down with people of all different backgrounds, of all different places in life, situations, to eat with him. And I want you to see what happens as you look at at the story of Jesus through the lens of a table. All right? This is pretty cool. We're not going to go through all of them. We don't have time. But I want to show you a few of them. So Luke 5 is the first one. And I want you to pay attention to who Jesus is eating with. In Luke 5, verse 27, this happens. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, again, just so you know, tax collectors equal sinners, equal worst sinners ever, right? Tax collectors. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. And many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of the religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. So Jesus In one of the first stories Luke tells about Jesus sitting down at a table at a banquet to eat with people, he sits with tax collectors. And and, and he doesn't just sit down with a tax collector to eat. He calls Levi, who was a tax collector, you may know as Matthew, to be one of his 12 disciples. This is huge. You may think you don't have your stuff all together. You may think you're less than perfect. You may even categorize yourself as a pretty bad person, as a sinner. You may have stumbled into church this morning and you don't know why you're here because you don't feel like you belong here because of what you've done. But I want you to know that if Jesus were here today, he would probably go with you to lunch. This is good news. Jesus, in one of the first stories Luke tells us about him sitting at a table to eat, who is he eating with? The worst of the worst, the tax collectors. And it drives the religious elite crazy. Another story, Luke 7, verse 36. Here again, who who Jesus is eating with. Verse 36, one of the Pharisees, the religious elite, asked Jesus to have dinner with him. What did Jesus say? He said, sure. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. And she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. So what, what do we have here? Jesus comes to a Pharisee's house to eat at a table, to sit down with a religious leader, Because he sits down with everyone to eat, right? And then all of a sudden this this immoral woman stumbles into the room and she gets at Jesus' feet and it drives the Pharisee, the religious leader, crazy. But what he doesn't realize is that Jesus may be at his house, at his table, but Jesus is now the host. And Jesus, as the host of this table, welcomes both the Pharisee and the immoral woman to be in his presence at this table. It's an amazing moment where Jesus, again, sits down to eat. And he has a Pharisee in front of him, a religious leader, and a sinner behind him. And what Luke paints as a beautiful picture. They both sit there with Jesus at the table. And as you read the story of Jesus, what you find is that over and over again, he elevates, because in their society, in their culture, in their world, women, children, pretty low on the status totem pole, right? But over and over again, Jesus elevates their worth and their value. He not only invites women to come and to sit at his table, he also invites them to be his disciple. He invites them to travel with him and be a part of his ministry. In fact, they finance a large part of his ministry. Jesus does a lot to elevate women, and not only that, but also children. If you're a parent, you probably know the story. You probably love the story. In Luke 18, there's a great story about Jesus. It goes like this, Luke 18, verse 15. One day some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. When the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. Then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, let the little children come to me. Like, come, come on, guys, seriously? Don't stop them. And he says this, the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these kids. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God... Like a child will never enter it. Jesus not only welcomes kids into his presence, he reprimands people who would keep kids from his presence, and he says the kingdom of God belongs to these kids, right? It's an amazing glimpse into the life and the ministry of Jesus that over and over again, he's welcoming people into his presence who everyone else would say don't belong there. He welcomes people over and over again to be with him who people like you and me who, who are religious leaders might say, eh, I don't know. I don't know if you're welcome. I don't know if, 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 if in our rule matrix that works. I don't know if you fit. I don't know if you belong. I don't know if you've checked the right boxes. I don't know if you can go into the presence of Jesus. And what does Jesus say over and over again? No, no, everyone is welcome in my presence. And then you get to the story of the Lord's Supper. And this is the moment where Jesus sits with his disciples for the Passover meal. This is literally hours before his arrest, his trial, his death. And in this moment, he welcomes at his table his disciples, one of which you know and I know will betray him. You want to talk about having a sinner at the table? You want to talk about having someone at the table who doesn't belong? Not only are the twelve with him, one of the twelve is a guy by the name of Judas who is going to literally hand Jesus over to die. And guess what Jesus does? He lets him in the room, even though he knows what's going to happen. And he eats with him. And he drinks with him. The word, literally, I mean, what you and I might say, "Uh uh-uh. Like if we knew what Jesus knew in that moment, we probably wouldn't have let Judas in. We probably would have stopped him before he came in the door and said, you go ahead and do what you got to do. I'm going to eat with these boys because they're with me, right? Judas is there too. And in Luke 22, verse 19, something amazing happens. Because what Jesus does in this moment... He doesn't do what he's supposed to do, and and we've lost the shock in all this moment because what you do at the Passover meal is you tell the story again and again of what God did at the Exodus. You tell the story over and over again of what happened way back when, of how God had saved us from from, from slavery and delivered us into freedom. And you don't mess with that story. You don't change that story. You tell that story like it's been told for a thousand years before you. But what Jesus does in this moment is he changes the story. And it's not about the Exodus and what God had done in the past anymore. Now it's about him. And it's about the future. And it's about what God is about to do through him at the cross. And and, and when they gather around this table, the confusion on their faces was real because they were like, what is he doing? This is the Passover. meal. He's changing the story. And it's no longer about what God did. He's making it about him. Luke 22, verse 19, Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God for it, and he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body which is given for you. They're completely confused. He's not on script. He's off script. He's saying the wrong things. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took another cup of wine and said... This is the cup of the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Jesus changes the salvation story. The salvation story from this point on is no longer about what God did in the Exodus. The salvation story from this point on is about what God is going to do through Jesus at the cross. So when the church began to gather after his resurrection... They sat in homes. They they were in their church buildings. They would meet in homes, homes of wealthy members who had a home large enough that could hold 30, 40, 50, maybe 60 people. And you know what worship was? Worship was a meal. They would come and they would gather around a table and they would take the bread that was on the table and they would break it like Jesus broke the bread that was on his table that night. And they would say, hey, this is the bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken for you. And they would take the cup that was on the table, and they would raise it, and they would say, this is the blood of Christ that was poured out for you. And you know what happened to that table? They told the story not just once a year, but every week of what God had done through Jesus on the cross. And who was at that table? Who was at that table when they gathered to break bread? take the cup you gathered your family around the table young and old this is a brand new community a brand new ecclesia a brand new gathering of jesus followers young and old children parents rich and poor slave and free jew and gentile women and children Everyone gathered around the table, and every week they retold the story of what God, the salvation story of what God had done through Jesus on the cross. And it was for everyone because the grace of God was for everyone. And I love that. I think sometime, somewhere along the, the line, we've flipped it, Right? Because in the church I grew up in, we said you had to be baptized before you could take the Lord's Supper. And baptism is the moment where we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. But the table is the place where we disciple our children. The table is the place where we disciple those who are outside of the family of God. It's where they hear and we tell the story every week of what God has done through Jesus Christ. This is where discipleship happens. You could argue that communion, the Lord's Supper, the table was the first kids' worship, right? Because they may not sit through a sermon, but they can take the bread and taste it. They can take the cup and taste it. And parents can whisper in their ear what God had done through Jesus. And they heard that story every week. They heard it until they believed it so deeply that they put their faith in Jesus. And they stepped into the waters of baptism and claimed him as their Lord and Savior. And I think the same thing that happened at the Passover table with the children and with the outsiders. who heard the story every year and how God had saved them from Egypt in the exodus. The faith that was formed in them that gave them the tenacity to hold on to their faith through the difficult and dark times of their story is the same thing that happens for our children and for those outside of our faith who come to this table every week and hear the story of what God did through Jesus. We are formed. It becomes our identity, and it gives us the faith. You want to know why kids maybe are leaving the church? Maybe it's because they haven't been welcomed at the table where we disciple them and teach them over and over again of what God has done. So their faith is rooted in a story. Their identity is shaped by a story of Jesus. And his death, and his burial, and his resurrection. So that Sunday, when my daughter looked up at me and got the bread in my hand, and she's like, Can I have some? Like everything I'd been taught ran through my brain with everything I knew about Jesus. And it was one of those moments for me, like one of these things is not like the other. And I leaned down and I said, Yes. And I gathered my kids. And I took the bread and, and I pulled them in close and I whispered in their ears This bread. You know, Jesus. Jesus loves you so much. You know what God did? You know what God did for you? He sent Jesus from heaven to earth. And Jesus came and He lived. And he died on the cross. He was buried. And then on a Sunday morning, he stepped out of that grave. And this bread, it reminds us of his body that was broken for you and for me. And and I know you know I love you, but your heavenly Father loves you more. And this cup, this juice, I know you don't like to bleed, but it reminds us of Jesus when he bled on the cross. And it reminds us of the great extent of the love of God, for you and for me. And he did that to save us so that one day, one day we can be with Jesus forever in heaven. And I've been whispering that story to my kids almost every week since. And I pray I'll never stop. Because this is the story. And you know what the heart of the story is? The heart of the story is that his table is the place where all are welcome. Where we get to retell the story and our faith is formed. The heart of the story is that That you are welcomed at the table just as you are, sinner or saint, old or young. That all are welcome because we call it the Lord's table for a reason. It's not my table. I don't get to make the rules. It's the Lord's table. It's Jesus' table. He gets to make the rules. And Jesus says at my table, all are welcome. There is no kid's table in the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) There is no table for sinner and saints. There's one table and all are welcome. Come around it. And this morning, why this matters, it matters for you and for me. Because I know if you're anything like me, there are days that you don't feel like you're welcome at the table. Because you know. You know what you did. You know where you've been. Jesus says you're welcome. In fact, Jesus would actually not just go out to eat with you, if you read the story, he would come to your house and sit with you. This is important because even those who are outside of us need to come to the table to hear the story. This is important because our children need to hear the story. This is important because Jesus, is a, he welcomes us without caveats. Jesus didn't say, whosoever adults believe in me Jesus didn't say, all the adults do this in remembrance of me. All those who have checked these boxes do this in rem-. Jesus says, take my body. Take my blood. Remember the great extent of my love for you displayed on the cross. All are welcome to come and to remember and to hear the story and to have your faith formed. And the message isn't try harder and then come to the table, that's not good news. The message isn't some are welcome and some are unwelcome. That's not good news either, by the way. The good news is that all are welcome. That's why it's called the gospel story. It's good news. We sang this song when I grew up. We'll sing it this morning. A great song This is Just as I am, without one plea. You are welcome to come to the table of the Lord just as you are, and know that Jesus, your host, will receive you and love you. And here's the secret. This is the cool part. So often we want to get ourselves together and change before we go to the table, before we come to God. God says, no. Jesus says, no. Come to the table, and in my presence, you will be changed. And if you spend enough time in the presence of Jesus, you too will be changed. Church, if you would, let's stand together. This morning, what I want to invite you to do, we're going to play a song and then we'll sing a song. And as you hear the song start in just a moment, I want to to dismiss you to different places around the room. And I've asked some different people to serve as table hosts this morning and and understand that Jesus is the host. But I've asked some people to be the tangible presence of, of God this morning for us and to receive you. And if you're a table host this morning, if you would, go ahead and move to, to, to your table around the room. What I want to do as you hear the song start is I want to ask you just to, to make your way to one of these tables. There's two in the back corners, there's two in the middle, and there's two up front. And as you come, I want you to grab some of the bread and some of the juice, and you're going to be received by these people, and I've asked them to, to just remind you that you are loved by God because that is the message. You are loved just as you are by God. And if you want to whisper that to the person next to you or to your kids or to your family, if you want to circle up and pray together, you're welcome to do that. But I want you to know that everyone this morning is invited to come to one of these tables and to receive the bread and the cup and to remember the story of Jesus, that he did come from heaven to earth, and he did die. And oh boy, he rose again. And today we tell that story again, and it shapes us and it forms us, and it reminds us of who we are, that we are loved by God. And there's nothing we could ever do to make God love us any more or any less, that he loves us just the way we are. So if you would, I'm going to ask the guys to play the song. And if you would, make your way to one of the tables and receive from the Lord this morning.